today we're looking at uh, the last two chapters of Ecclesiastes and the, the sort of picking the eyes out of that. And uh, the theme of those chapters is when our future is uncertain. So let's get started. Uh, yeah, that's okay. So uh, for most of my life, Australia, that of course is the Brisbane Mall where I spent... I didn't spend six years in the mall, but I spent a lot of time in the mall when I spent my six years in Brisbane because I used to walk through the mall every day on the way to QUT. So Australia has has been a place where we can plan our futures. I grew up knowing that it was up to me to apply myself uh, sufficiently to make it through high school, to go to uni if I wanted to. Even getting a job wasn't too difficult, although it might have taken a while to get the one I wanted during the recession we had to have. Um, But our futures were not uncertain. Um, Ever since conscription for the Vietnamese War ended, which was long before my time, Australians have pretty much been able to choose their futures, right? There have been exceptions, of course. People born into poor families have often struggled to escape poverty. Indigenous uh, communities have been trapped in a variety of of cycles, vicious cycles. But generally, Australians have been able to look ahead with optimism. The last two years, however, have brought turmoil and uncertainty into everyone's lives. Well, there have been exceptions to this too, such as professional sports people or their wives. But, uh, <laughs> but most Australians have suddenly found that their long-planned weddings are no longer possible. They can no longer see their parents or grandparents for years on end. Uh, funerals are not a time to gather, but a time to mourn separately. Many have, have not even been able to leave their own homes for weeks on end. We cannot cross state borders without the uncertainty of whether we'll be able to return home. Well, we can return home, but we may have to spend two weeks there. So that's, and that's only in the last couple of weeks that we've had that privilege. So, or we must get jabbed to have access to familiar places such as the local cafe. That's not the case yet, but it will be soon. The constant switches and changes of between one set of absolute rules and the next has been dizzying, confusing, disheartening and discouraging. For uh, most of my life, my family has managed to come together for Christmas. Sure, living overseas has disrupted that at times, but that's understandable. But this year, My family is also bewildered and confused by the state of our state that uh, we haven't even sort of, we just haven't been able to come up with any plans to get together, which which leaves leaves me feeling even more bewildered. Does anyone does anyone else have that sort of experience? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem like much, but it has a big impact when we can't be certain about our future, when we can't plan. Well, Australia, I guess all I can say is welcome to the normal state of the world. 
we have actually been living in such a privileged time and place that the sudden arbitrariness of of our public square has stunned us. But for people in developing nations or people in history, this constant uncertainty about the future has actually been an unchangeable feature of reality. We are the exception. We have been the exception. In fact, 3,000 years ago, this reality was so evident that even a king, who you would think would be privileged enough to be able to plan whatever he wanted, even a king could discern the uncertainty of the future. Let's hear Solomon's take. Send your grain across the seas and in time profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. Just going to turn my light on. The uncertainty of the text. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. Plant your seed in the morning and keep busy all afternoon, for you don't know if profit will come from one activity or the other, or maybe both. Light is sweet. How pleasant to see a new day dawning. When people live to be very old, let them rejoice in every day of life. But let them also remember there will be many dark days. Everything still to come is meaningless. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But... But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth with a whole life before you, it is meaningless. (laughs) So here at the end of Ecclesiastes, we find Solomon's final thoughts on the world under the sun. He starts with advice on how to handle the uncertainty of the future. His advice is simple. Take action. Share what you have in case disaster strikes and you need a favour. Don't spend your time trying to figure out whether conditions are just, just right. Just get busy planting and doing whatever else you can. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know what will work out and what won't. Solomon would make a great financial advisor. Give up trying to predict the weather, the future, because both nature and God are way too complicated. Solomon would actually make a really bad climate ambassador. (laughs) 
Enjoy life while you're young. Do whatever makes you feel good. Just be aware that God may judge you in this life, which is the scope of Solomon's concern. So when Solomon worries about God's judgment, it's just in this life. So yes, remember your creator. Now, while you're young, before the silver cord of life snaps and the golden bowl is broken, don't wait until the water jar is smashed at the spring and the pulley is broken at the well, for then the dust will return to the earth and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. So Solomon makes it it's so clear in this poetic final passage that even the powerful should enjoy their life on earth. Sorry, even the, in their youth, they should enjoy their life in their youth because even the powerful are mortal and their death is just as assured and final as that of the weak, that of the poor. So Solomon ends, of course, on that constant refrain of his. Everything is meaningless. Death makes everything meaningless. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Solomon has finished his argument and his conclusion has been stated. Everything is meaningless. That's his conclusion. That's how he starts. That's how he ends. But along comes someone else. We'll call them the editor, to explain why this bleak journey is preserved in the Bible. Why have such a depressing book in the Bible? Well, this is what the editor says. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truth clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick which a shepherd drives the sheep. Pretty cruel shepherd, but... But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out, doesn't it, uni students? (laughs) Solomon's under-the-sun approach was certainly exhaustive and authoritative. It, It demonstrated the inability of even the smartest and wisest to find real, meaningful answers to life's struggles and questions in the material world. In fact, says the editor, you can spend your whole life searching this world, for answers. And people still do. Think of the self-help section of a modern bookshop. This is probably a bit different from what you used to, but I thought it was a cool bookshop. I don't know if you've ever looked through one of these sections, the self-help sections, not something on the street like that. I can remember trawling through a vast self-help section in uh, Barnes and Nobles in Northern California when I was living there back in the 90s. 
And it, it just was bewildering, like so many diverse voices, so many different and conflicting approaches, so much contradictory advice. It just left my head spinning. And there's no way I could have read all of it. I guess I could have tried and I'd be finishing about now. And it's even worse today. Think of the avalanche of options if you dare to Google a question. I Googled, what's the meaning of life? 22, yes. So this is a really cool result. I really like what Google shows up. It's got a dictionary definition of the word. Uh, It's got an image of the number 42, which, of course, is the meaning of life. Hey? It's called a condition. Yeah. What's the first one? A condition. A condition. Yeah. It's got got book suggestions. Yay, more books. Um, Let's have a look at the next page. It's got alternative questions. Uh, It's got... um, it's got a scientific answer. It's got a philosophical answer. Uh, this isn't. This isn't. Oh, it didn't show up properly. Sorry, I can't show you the next one because for some reason it didn't get in there. But it has. It has down below here. It's got a scientific answer, like the chemical definition of life or something, a philosophical answer, uh, and a psychological answer. And then it has an organisational answer as well, like how life is organised. But it doesn't have a Christian answer. It does have an option for death. Where? It says all biology and religion. Ah, yeah. Made yep. In the, it has an option. In the, in the definition. No, 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 no. It says see definitions in all biology, religion, games. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it has the option to at least search by religion. But that's just the dictionary, right? That's not, that's not actual answers. That's just definitions. So, so <clears throat> you can see that Google will give you um, just endless answers. And, and Google's not the extent of it either. Think of the endless questions and answers on sites like Reddit and Facebook. I mean, just endless. You could spend your life lost in this depressing, self-contradictory, meaningless maze and some people do. That study will certainly wear you out, at least your eyes. Probably your back and your hand and stuff, you know, you'll get phone, phone disease or whatever they call it when you can't straighten your head. But the editor of Ecclesiastes says the answers are actually simple. That's the whole story. Now here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Fear God. Not like Solomon did. He feared God's arbitrary judgments, right? His, his judgment in this world. No, Fear God like someone who knows him. Someone who knows that God loves them. Like the song that we sung. Someone who knows that God loves us despite what our heart contains. I'm always reminded of C.S. Lewis's wonderful explanation about Aslan. He's not a tame lion. So you should fear him, but not 
fear his arbitrary wrath. Just recognize that he's a lion and he's not tame. And when we fear God, it's only natural that we will obey his commands, right? We have a light burden, you see. We don't have to search the endless aisles of self-help. We don't have to trawl through Google every time we make a decision, at least not a life decision. We might have to trawl through Google when we decide what, what sort of pool cleaner we want to buy or something. <clears throat> and we don't have to wade through the endless posts of Reddit or Facebook. We just need to read God's word. I want to pause for a moment here because, because this is such a radical concept. On one side, we have the endless piles of meaningless human wisdom which people who don't know God have to wade through. If you don't know God, if you don't fear God, this is what you have to wade through. Obviously not books nowadays. You can read it on your phone, but it's, it's even worse on your phone. It's even more tedious. And it's just endless and boring and painful and confusing. You get the further you dig, the more confusing it gets. There's no clarity. You can see why people who don't know God are always uncertain, always seeking, always doubting whether they've found the answers or not. There's no certainty in their future. There's no certainty in their present. Solomon wisely said in, earlier in Ecclesiastes, I realise that no one, can dis- no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. We've seen this demonstrated in the last two years. For two years we've been told, follow the science, follow the medicine. But the problem has been that the science, the medicine, has been changing. As it always does. That's what it does. It's not like this is... It's not like science has suddenly become unreliable. Science has always been like that. Science is human knowledge. And sometimes it's wrong, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's merely confusing. Furthermore, we can never be certain which one of those it is at any one time. But our political leaders have unwisely attempted to treat science as if it were like God's word. Certain unchanging, a reliable guide to a good life. As a result, they've ended up tying themselves and us into knots and inflaming so many tensions that, for example, Victoria is now, it seems, in almost constant uproar. Does this mean that we should ignore science or medicine? Of course not. But... We must recognise that science is not like God's word. The search for truth in science is endless and confusing, even for scientists, perhaps particularly for scientists. Science often travels down false paths and it can take the death of that entire generation of scientists before the search returns to more fruitful paths. 
this is where the term paradigm shift came from. That's from uh, history of science or philosophy of science. But on the other side, on the other side, we have God's word. It's unchanging. Well, obviously, versions change and translations change and we get nice, cute, sort of pretty things in modern versions of the Bible. So that looks different, sort of. But the content doesn't change. It doesn't need to be revised or corrected or refined. It just needs to be read and understood. That's enough of an effort in itself. When we learn to read God's word well and put it into practice, then instead of an uncertain future, we find that our future becomes certain. This is it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You've probably heard me read this several times before. This is my go-to passage for our future. This is our future. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So no pandemic can shake our certainty. No lockdowns can keep us from God's loving embrace. No social distancing will separate us from the love of Christ. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things... Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How wonderful it is to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. How light is our burden and how easy is the yoke that binds us to one another in Christ. Let's make understanding how God's word applies to our life our main activity. Other learning can be useful, especially for earning money. But let's keep it in its place. Let's recognise that that's a temporary thing, a temporal thing. This might sound impractical, unrealistic. 
After all, you say, you're not, we're not all preachers, we're not all pastors, why do we need to worry about God's word? But think about it. Think about it. The greatest work done in this world, the greatest work done in this world, worldly work, has been done by people who applied biblical principles to their jobs. If you read books like, what is it, The Greatest Companies or Great Companies, there's a bunch of them that have been written. Good to great. What are the principles that they find? They find Christian principles, biblical principles being applied in business and that makes great companies. In any field, I challenge you to find people who are great at their work under the sun who are not using biblical principles. And you can't do that if you don't know the Bible. So let's make knowing God's word job number one. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word as as Neil prayed at the beginning of the service. We thank you that we have such incredible access to your word in our own language. And that we have such incredible resources to help us understand it, such as Logos, which we can all get access to in Renew. Help us to build our lives on the secure knowledge of your word rather than the shifting sands of worldly wisdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.